0: Martin, the title itself is already attention-grabbing, but how did this idea came about?
1: Okay, actually, the author uh, and the writer and producer, Amir Mohamad, is a friend of mine, and he suggested, he, he had the idea that this is kind of going to be the kind of book that will really sell well. He said, don't make it very in-depth, have these little vignettes of information, and then a lot of Malaysians are very interested in this topic. And so I, I sat about it. And this was actually like seven, eight years ago. Oh, wow. So I started compiling bits of information, talking to veteran journalists, lawyers, cop, history professors, and getting their input on all these cases. Another reason we thought it was worth doing is there's a lot of false information. A lot of urban legends get passed around about some of these cases. So we thought we'd go to the archives and get the, the facts and also get some commentary from people who have an understanding of the case. Looking at this book right
0: now, it doesn't look that thick, but we're talking about 42 high-profile cases in Malaysia. And it goes as far back in time as to 1875, which is about the murder of British resident of Perak, J.W.W. Birch. Now, that's a long time. How do you source for this information? I mean, was it tough? And I'm sure it's not just based on reading history books.
1: Yes, certainly the first few uh, mysteries in the book, we've gone and spoken to historical experts. One of the key people who helped me in this book is the late Professor Koo K. Kim. He gave me his insights as uh, a background of, of these early cases. Another one is Professor Samsul Amri uh, Baharudin. Between the two of them, they were able to give me the context of the historical cases. How long did it take for you to complete this book? Okay, Amir was there at the initial stage. He gave me the idea, and then right. eventually uh, he wasn't part of it. Right, Largely, myself and Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Andrew was, was a veteran crime reporter for many years. He's been on, you know, for example... Bentong Kali, Mona Fendi, Kenny Ong, those kind of cases he was covering at some point. He might even be on the scene of the crime a short while after it has happened. So from the mid-90s to the mid-2000s, he was very close to these these high-profile crime cases.
0: You know, these names that you just mentioned, this reminds me of my schooling days. I remember these cases, reading it, they were big headlines. Yes. And when you say grip the nation, it did yes. grip the nation. That, that was time.
1: definitely one of the criteria. Every one of the cases in this book, when it, at the time it was happening, everybody was talking about it. It was full of speculation. You couldn't get away from it. And of course, uh, we have to be sensitive because the people's lives are, are involved. And it's not just those who may or may not have committed the crimes. It's the families of the victims in particular.
0: All right. So you mentioned that this idea cropped up about eight years ago. Why did
1: it take so long for you to produce this? Initially, we thought we were going to be published under one publishing house and then they had a problem where they decided to move from English to just doing Malay publications. So we moved to another publication house and then that one closed down. So there was in between, the book was sitting half finished on my laptop for about three to four years. The catalyst for me to revive it was in fact the May 2018 general election when we finally had a change of government and I thought it would be a more liberal environment under which to publish this. So I then sourced again for publishers. I was very lucky to be introduced to Marshall Cavendish in Singapore, and they have backed the book.
0: Did you think that if you were to publish before the May elections, uh, 2018 elections, it would the, the reception, the feeling would have been different to publish that then, you think?
1: Yes, there's no doubt that uh, since the change of government, there's greater freedom in my sphere, which is journalism and writing in general. I, I realized, you, you know, you never know how long this window of freedom is going to be open. And so I thought, let me publish this.
0: Out of all the 42 cases, which do you think is the most important or interesting story
1: two very different cases which stand out. One is uh, it's a case of child abuse. It's a baby who was found dying in a hospital toilet and he'd been brutally beaten over a period of a couple of months. Uh, they tried to save him but they couldn't and so that case I was actually a teenager myself when the case broke but I've never forgotten the images of the baby struggling for his life. That is something that is very emotional to cover. When you actually realize that people, there are adults out there who are hurting small children to the point of death. And in fact, when I interviewed the late Kapal Singh about it, even he got very emotional. He told me it's one of the worst cases and, you know, we both teared up a little. So that is a case that is always stuck in my mind. This is the case of baby Bala, died in May 1990. Another case which is still really strong in my mind is, of course, MH370. It's like a national mystery. Everybody remembers it because it was going to be six years ago now. It's a big news around the world at that time. At first, we thought we'd find a plane. You know, a lot of people seem to have answers. And uh, as time has gone on, it's just going down as one of the greatest mysteries of our time. seems almost amazing, that. given our technology, hmm. that such a large vehicle Poof. could have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How vital it is, you think, that this book will be to readers, as well as the younger generations especially? What should they
1: take out of it? I think there are two or three elements. One is the, the fake news element, because we, we did want to put down facts. Truth is, there's a lot of urban legends that grow surrounding these various cases, a lot of disinformation and a lot of red herrings. So one of the things that a young reader perhaps could gain is let's take a look at the facts of the case. That That is one element. Another thing is that we have to acknowledge many of these cases, the perpetrator has not really been brought to justice. Whatever we may feel now, we, we can look back and say that our our criminal justice system has clearly been found wanting in the past and has been compromised, which I think we, we can see from various legal documents over the last few years.
0: All right, Martin, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been a great honour. Thank you. J.K., uh, U.S.-Iran situation is something huge. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, can you tell us why has this U.S.-Iran conflict erupted? I think one
2: needs to look at the bigger picture of the realignment of forces, the withdrawal of U.S. from the Middle East and its diminished influence in the Middle East. I think this is clearly in breach of international laws or even us own laws as well. The big question everyone is asking, what is the real motive that Trump ordered assassination, okay? Not just him, but 10 others as well, including five Iraqi officials, which to me is really an act of war. The main thing I believe is a lot to do with this President Trump's domestic agenda. He's under a lot of pressure in America, mainly on the issue of impeachment. I think it's also a distraction from the current impeachment trial is going to be launched. It's a distraction from the slowing U.S. economy as well. The other motive, I think, is he wants to reassert, this is geopolitical. He wanted to reassert a US influence in the Middle East. Actually, if you look at it, it's exactly the same as what happened when President Bush launched the Iraq war in 2003, accusing Saddam Hussein of having weapons of mass destruction, but he couldn't prove it. In this case now, they are saying they have evidence, intelligence, that this general is going to launch an attack that will harm American citizens. But there's no proof whatsoever.
0: How is this conflict going to impact the world? Some on social media are also saying things like, you know, it could erupt uh, a World War Three.
2: Well, of course, there are signs of it. You cannot say. You- these are all speculation you know all it needs is a trigger and the conflict with is once it involves the big powers then you will definitely lead to world war three so russia and china play a moderating role i hear in the reports that the russians intelligence and the armed services will help out iran if iran is under attack that becomes very dangerous then when you get another superpower involved there's a great tendency that you will spiral and escalate into a world war
0: well we are hoping it won't thank you so much for that kk